Nurgle is the lord of decay. He is also the lord of all, because all things, no matter how solid and permanent they seem, are liable to physical corruption. Indeed, the very process of construction and creation foreshadow destruction and decay. The palace of today is tomorrow's ruin. The maiden of the morning is the crone of the night. And the hope of a moment is but a foundation stone of everlasting regret. the response of living men to this undeniable and inevitable futility of life? Is it to lie down and accept death and the coming of naught of every endeavor? No, it's not. Faced with the inevitability of death, what answer can there be but to run through life at a breakneck pace, cramming each day with hope, laughter, noise, and bustle? Thus, Happiness and human endeavor are sired by our coming to terms with the decay and futility of life. This realization is the key to understanding the great Lord of decay and his worshippers. Once we comprehend what it is that the chaos power Nurgle embodies, it becomes easier to understand what might otherwise seem a contradictory or even perverse nature. On one hand, he is the Lord of decay, his body racked with disease. On the other, he is full of expected energy and a desire to organize and enlighten. The living know they will die, and many know that they will live with a disease or other torment, yet they drive this knowledge into the corner of their minds and keep it pinioned there with all manner of dreams and activity. Nurgle is the embodiment of that knowledge and of the unconscious response to it of the hidden fear of disease and decay and the power of life which that fear generates. As the caravan draws near to its destination, the excitement of the demons draws to a fever pitch. Plague-bearers take stock of the pestilence and disease, counting the reserves of sickness and the number of nurglings, counting each other, and eventually anything that stands still long enough to be counted. Amidst the deep-throated drone of the plague-bearers endless tally, the nurglings chatter and prance like small children about to embark upon a special treat. They squabble and squirm, snigger and squeal, and their numbers increase and diminish beyond the plague-bearers' ability to count them. Amidst the general hubbaloo and anticipation, the overly affectionate beasts of Nurgle bound uncontrollably from plague-bearer to plague-bearer like excitable puppies, leaving pools of dribble and slime as they pass. When the Great Unclean One speaks, his manner is immediately reminiscent of the great stage manager and leader that he is. He addresses the cast of plague-bearers, nurglings, and beasts, building their enthusiasm by recalling the fine aesthetic qualities of famous diseases of the past. He may mention in passing the wine-dark sea of purple-patterned decay the fine flaky texture and slightly salty tang of azima. As the multitude clamors for more, he will describe the gem-like shine of a boil as it wells to a head, 
and the final satisfaction as it bursts, exploding a glistening cavity of infinite flesh and pus. The space inside the wagon was cavernous out of its proportion to its tiny exterior size. The cacophonies that filled it were indescribable. The squealing, screaming, chattering, and bickering of the nurglings was beyond mere human imagining. A million unruly schoolchildren, left to their own devices, could not even begin to rival the anarchy or intensity of that demonic din. The grating drone of the plague bearers, all counting at once, produced a sound so base and penetrating that it made the vital organs of every demon vibrate and quiver with time as its beat. Then there were the indescribable noises, the creaks, the groans, the little pops of bursting pustules, the slobbering sticky noises of the fractionally affectionate beasts, and their other sounds, which were impossible to ascribe to any one source in particular. Amidst it all, waving his arms, the great unclean one was trying to make himself heard. Ah, gentle creatures, children my pretties, lend your ears to your loving father, cease thy aimless chatter, banish thy banal burblings. It was quite useless. The noise continued, the squeals and the laughter reaching a new crescendo. The great unclean one appeared for a moment to be hurt by his fellow demon's rudeness. Then he decided to put an end to it all. Shut up! He bellowed. The noise stopped instantly. Not even the beat of the little demonic hearts or drip of any tiny demonic noses could be heard. The brow of every plague bearer furrowed in concentration as each tried desperately to remember the last number he thought of. The great unclean one quickly regained his composure. He was used to such things. Gentle creatures, our pretties, now is the time to sing the sore fate, for the moment has come for the dance of death. The Nurglings flocked to their master, squabbling and bickering in their impatience to nestle in the warm comfort of his decaying bosom. Ah, Nurgle's children, our pretties, our pets, cried the great unclean one in a deep, warm voice. How Nurgle loves his little children. With a broad and loving smile, the great unclean one raised his hands to pluck the Nurgling that was settled into the folds of his chest. The Nurgling squealed and squirmed as the hand enveloped it and caressed it for a moment before popping it whole into the great unclean one's mouth. As the great plague carts and wagons of the cavalcade of Nurgle approached their target, the demons prepared their campaign of destruction. In all respects, it was a performance, and like all performances, it had its prelude as well as its climax. In this case, the prelude is the Dance of Death enacted the night before the assault, when the demons of Nurgle danced the great dance of death circling the town's garrisons, or villages, three times. As the moon rises into the sky, the dance begins its course, and the cast of demons moves solemnly over the hills and fields towards their target. As the night progresses, and the first circle is completed, the excitement begins to mount, the songs become riotous, and the dancing becomes more and more animated. As the dancers begin their third circuit, they abandon themselves to a frenzy of song, laughter, and madness, in which they cry out 
the terrible things that they intend to do on the morrow. As the dance nears completion, the noise reaches the ears of the uninfected, the ears of the living. Those awakened by the song hide under their covers, too terrified to move, while those still sleeping experience the strange and disturbing dreams. Then all falls quiet. The third circuit is now complete, and the song of fate are in an end. The young soldier, stationed at the garrison, woke from the nightmare, his heart beating like a drum, and his slight limbs quivering with unreasoning terror. The words of the demon song echoed in his mind, the cries of some demonic child threatening and taunting him. Flies, flies, eat up his eyes, the soldier man's lovely eyes. The eyes, the flies, the eyes, the flies, before the soldier man dies. <laughs> he shuddered as he recalled the verse of the childish rhyme ringing even now in his ears. Throwing aside his fear for a second, he peered over the walls. As he inhaled the cool morning air, he looked out across the field towards the outlying hill, and then his heart almost stopped. There, outlined against the hill, through the open field and all around the walls, was the nightmare made real. A carnival of cavorting demons carpeting the landscape as he watched, and there upon the breeze, among the stench, once more the piercing cackle and that maddening song. Father Nurgle settled down among the supporting heap of his smallest minions. Those lucky enough to escape being crushed by their master's bulk squealed delightfully as they snuggled into the deep warmth of his flesh. Nurgle reclined comfortably and as his corpulent face assumed an air of triumphant expectancy. Nurgle gave a dignified nod to one of the plague bearers. Excitedly, the demon began to beat his drum, slowly and rhythmically at first, and gradually faster and faster as it became carried away with the sense of the occasion. All of the Nurgle's servants cheered and applauded, and Nurgle acknowledged them with a smile and a regal wave of his festering paw. It was the prelude to the battle that excited the demons, drawing squeals of anticipation from the tumbling little nurglings. This time, the cavalcade was to be joined by others, champions of Nurgle and their mortal warbands, who were going to take part in the great war. The beasts bounded and tussled in their eagerness to welcome the mortals, causing considerable disarray and the odd casualty among the seared ranks of warriors. The war bands flocked to the sound of the drum. They came in carts and wagons like those of Nurgle's own cavalcade, marched into the camp, or simply distilled from the surrounding woods like shadows at sunset. Some of the most severely mutated of them wore the sigil of Nurgle and adorned voluminous green robes, completely failing to hide their unique disfigurements, if that was in fact their purpose. The plague bears carefully recorded the name of each champion as they arrived, announcing his title as loudly as they were able among the rising laughter and squeaking chatter. The show pleased Father Nurgle immensely. The busy, scampering demons, the creaking carts and their tinkering bells, the gaily colored masks, and carefully decorated palaquins bearing various demons or champions. He sighed with satisfaction and patted the Nurgling that had crawled into the crook of his arm. 
Hi. What month is it in this mortal world we are in? Squeaked the Nurgling. Ah, <laughs> more like Nurgle November it is. Yes, right, Nurgle November. Remember this, my little pimples. The grandfather loves you. Let me blow you a kiss. Mm.